Section two of the Complete Poetical Works. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morendo 07. The Complete Poetical Works by Edgar Allan Poe. Section two. Memoir of Edgar Allan Poe by John H. Ingram. Part two. On the 28th of February, 1829, Mrs. Allen died, and with her death the final thread that had bound Poe to her husband was broken. The adopted son arrived too late to take a last farewell of her whose influence had given the Allen residence its only claim upon the poet's heart. A kind of truce was patched up over the grave of the deceased lady, but for the future Poe found that home was home no longer. Again the young man turned to poetry, not only as a solace, but as a means of earning a livelihood. Again he printed a little volume of poems, which included his longest piece, Al-Araf, and several others now deemed classic. The book was a great advance upon his previous collection, but failed to obtain any amount of public praise or personal profit for its author. Feeling the difficulty of living by literature, at the same time that he saw he might have to rely largely upon his own exertions for a livelihood, Poe expressed a wish to enter the army. After no little difficulty, a cadetship was obtained for him at the West Point Military Academy, a military school in many respects equal to the best in Europe for the education of officers for the army. At the time Poe entered the academy, it possessed anything but an attractive character, the discipline having been of the most severe character, and the accommodation in many respects unsuitable for growing lads. The poet appears to have entered upon this new course of life with his usual enthusiasm, and for a time to have borne the rigid rules of the place with unusual steadiness. He entered the institution on the 1st of July, 1830, and by the following March had been expelled for determined disobedience. Whatever view may be taken of Poe's conduct upon this occasion, it must be seen that the expulsion from West Point was of his own seeking. Highly coloured pictures have been drawn of his eccentric behaviour at the Academy, but the fact remains that he willfully, or at any rate purposely, flung away his cadetship. It is surmised with plausibility that the second marriage of Mr. Allen and his expressed intention of withdrawing his help and of not endowing or bequeathing this adopted son any of his property was the mainspring of Poe's action. Believing it impossible to continue without aid in a profession so expensive as was a military life, he determined to relinquish it and return to his long-cherished attempt to become an author. Expelled from the institution that afforded board and shelter, and discarded by his former protector, the unfortunate and penniless young man yet a third time attempted to get a start in the world of letters by means of a volume of poetry. If it be true, as alleged, that several of his brother cadets aided his efforts by subscribing for his little work, there is some possibility that a few dollars rewarded this latest venture. Whatever may have resulted from the alleged aid, it is certain that in a short time after leaving the military academy, Poe was reduced to sad straits. He disappeared for nearly two years from public notice, and how he lived during that period has never been satisfactorily explained. In 1833, he returns to history in the character of a winner of a hundred-dollar award offered by a newspaper for the best story. 
the prize was unanimously adjudged to poe by the adjudicators and mr kennedy an author of some little repute having become interested by the young man's evident genius generously assisted him towards obtaining a livelihood by literary labour through his new friend's introduction to the proprietor of the southern literary messenger a moribund magazine published at irregular intervals poe became first a paid contributor and eventually the editor of the publication which ultimately he rendered one of the most respected and profitable periodicals of the day this success was entirely due to the brilliancy and power of poe's own contributions to the magazine in march eighteen thirty four mr allen died and if our poet had maintained any hopes of further assistance from him all doubt was settled by the will by which the whole property of the deceased was left to his second wife and her three sons poe was not named on the sixth of may eighteen thirty six poe who now had nothing but his pen to trust to married his cousin virginia clem a child of only fourteen and with her mother as housekeeper started a home of his own in the meantime his various writings in the messenger began to attract attention and to extend his reputation into literary circles but beyond his editorial salary of about five hundred and twenty dollars brought him no pecuniary reward in january eighteen thirty seven for reasons never thoroughly explained poe severed his connection with the messenger and moved with all his household goods from richmond to new york southern friends state that poe was desirous of either being admitted into partnership with his employer or of being allowed a larger share of the profits which his own labors procured in new york his earnings seem to have been small and irregular his most important work having been a republication from the messenger in book form of his defoe like romance entitled arthur gordon pym the truthful air of the narrative as well as its other merits excited public curiosity both in england and america but poe's remuneration does not appear to have been proportionate to its success nor did he receive anything from the numerous european editions the work rapidly passed through in eighteen thirty eight poe was induced by a literary friend to break up his new york home and remove with his wife and aunt her mother to philadelphia the quaker city was at that time quite a hotbed for magazine projects and among the many new periodicals poe was enabled to earn some kind of a living to burton's gentleman's magazine for eighteen thirty seven he had contributed a few articles but in eighteen forty he arranged with its proprietor to take up the editorship poe had long sought to start a magazine of his own and it was probably with a view to such an eventuality that one of his conditions for accepting the editorship of the gentleman's magazine was that his name should appear upon the title-page poe worked hard at the gentleman's for some time contributing to its columns much of his best work ultimately however he came to loggerheads with its proprietor burton who disposed of the magazine to a mr graham a rival publisher at this period poe collected into two volumes and got them published as tales of the grotesque and arabesques twenty-five of his stories but he never received any remuneration save a few copies of the volumes for the work for some time the poet strove most earnestly to start a magazine of his own but all his efforts failed owing to his want of capital the purchaser of burton's magazine having amalgamated it with another issued the two under the title of graham's magazine 
Poe became a contributor to the new venture and, in November of the year 1840, consented to assume the post of editor. Under Poe's management, assisted by the liberality of Mr. Graham, Graham's magazine became a grand success. To its pages, Poe contributed some of his finest and most popular tales and attracted to the publication the pens of many of the best contemporary authors. The public was not slow in showing its appreciation of pabulum put before it, and, so its directors averred, in less than two years the circulation rose from five to fifty-two thousand copies. A great deal of this success was due to Poe's weird and wonderful stories, still more, perhaps, to his trenchant critiques and his startling theories anent cryptology. As regards the tales now issued in Graham's, Attention may especially be drawn to the world-famed Murders in the Rue Morgue, the first of a series, une espèce de trilogie, as Baudelaire styles them, illustrative of an analytic phase of Poe's peculiar mind. This trilogie of tales, of which the later two were The Purloined Letter and The Mystery of Marie Roguette, was avowedly written to prove the capability of solving the puzzling riddles of life by identifying another person's mind by our own. By trying to follow the processes by which a person would reason out a certain thing, Poe propounded the theory that another person might ultimately arrive, as it were, at that person's conclusions, indeed penetrate the innermost arcanum of his brain and read his most secret thoughts. Whilst the public was still pondering over the startling proposition and enjoying perusal of its apparent proofs, Poe still further increased his popularity and drew attention to his works by putting forward the attractive but less dangerous theorem that, quote, human ingenuity could not construct a cipher which human ingenuity could not solve, unquote. This cryptographic assertion was made in connection with what the public deemed a challenge, and Poe was inundated with ciphers more or less abstruse, demanding solution. In the correspondence which ensued in Graham's magazine and other publications, Poe was universally acknowledged to have proved his case so far as his own personal ability to unriddle such mysteries was concerned. Although he had never offered to undertake such a task, he triumphantly solved every cryptogram sent to him, with one exception, and that exception he proved conclusively was only an imposture, for which no solution was possible. The outcome of this exhaustive and unprofitable labour was the fascinating story of The Gold Bug, a story in which the discovery of hidden treasure is brought about by the unriddling of an intricate cipher. The year 1841 may be deemed the brightest of Poe's checkered career. On every side acknowledged to be a new and brilliant literary light, chief editor of a powerful magazine, admired, feared and envied, with a reputation already spreading rapidly in Europe as well as in his native continent, the poet might well have hoped for prosperity and happiness. But dark cankers were gnawing his heart. His pecuniary position was still embarrassing. His writings, which were the result of slow and careful labour, were poorly paid, and his remuneration as joint editor of Graham's was small. He was not permitted to have undivided control, and but a slight share of the profits of the magazine he had rendered world-famous, whilst a fearful domestic calamity wrecked all his hopes, and caused him to resort to that refuge of the broken-hearted, to that drink, 
which finally destroyed his prospects and his life edgar poe's own account of this terrible malady and its cause was made towards the end of his career its truth has never been disproved and in its most important points it has been thoroughly substantiated to a correspondent he writes in january eighteen forty eight quote, you say can you hint to me what was that terrible evil which caused the irregularities so profoundly lamented yes i can do more than hint this evil was the greatest which can befall a man six years ago a wife whom i loved as no man ever loved before ruptured a blood vessel in singing her life was despaired of i took leave of her for ever and underwent all the agonies of her death she recovered partially and i again hoped at the end of a year the vessel broke again i went through precisely the same scene then again again and even once again at varying intervals each time i felt all the agonies of her death and at each accession of the disorder i loved her more dearly and clung to her life with more desperate pertinacity but i am constitutionally sensitive nervous in a very unusual degree i became insane with long intervals of horrible sanity during these fits of absolute unconsciousness i drank god only knows how often or how much as a matter of course my enemies referred the insanity to the drink rather than the drink to the insanity i had indeed nearly abandoned all hope of a permanent cure when i found one in the death of my wife this i can and do endure as becomes a man it was the horrible never-ending oscillation between hope and despair which i could not longer have endured without total loss of reason unquote. the poet at this period was residing in a small but elegant little home superintended by his ever faithful guardian his wife's mother his own aunt mrs clem the lady whom he so gratefully addressed in after years in the well-known sonnet as quote, more than mother unto me unquote. but a change came over the spirit of his dream his severance from graham's owing to we know not what causes took place and his fragile schemes of happiness faded as fast as the sunset his means melted away and he became unfitted by mental trouble and ill health to earn more the terrible straits to which he and his unfortunate beloved ones were reduced may be comprehended after perusal of these words from mr a b harris's reminiscences referring to the poet's residence in spring gardens philadelphia this writer says quote, it was during their stay there that mrs poe while singing one evening ruptured a blood vessel and after that she suffered a hundred deaths she could not bear the slightest exposure and needed the utmost care and all those conveniences as to apartment and surroundings which are so important in the case of an invalid were almost matters of life and death to her and yet the room where she lay for weeks hardly able to breathe except as she was fanned was a little narrow place with the ceiling so low over the narrow bed that her head almost touched it but no one dared to speak mr poe was so sensitive and irritable quick as steel and flint said one who knew him in those days and he would not allow a word about the danger of her dying the mention of it drove him wild unquote. 
Is it to be wondered at, should it not indeed be forgiven him if, impelled by the anxieties and privations at home, the unfortunate poet, driven to the brink of madness, plunged still deeper into the slough of despond? Unable to provide for the pressing necessities of his beloved wife, the distracted man, quote, would steal out of the house at night and go off and wander about the street for hours, proud, heartsick, despairing, not knowing which way to turn or what to do, while Mrs. Clem would endure the anxiety at home as long as she could and then start off in search of him, unquote. During his calmer moments, Poe exerted all his efforts to proceed with his literary labours. He continued to contribute to Graham's magazine, the proprietor of which periodical remained his friend to the end of his life, and also to some other leading publications of Philadelphia and New York. A suggestion having been made to him by N. P. Willis of the latter city, he determined to once more wander back to it, as he found it impossible to live upon his literary earnings where he was. Accordingly, about the middle of 1845, Poe removed to New York, and shortly afterwards was engaged by Willis and his partner Morris as sub-editor on the Evening Mirror. He was, says Willis, quote, employed by us for several months as critic and sub-editor. He resided with his wife and mother at Fordham, a few miles out of town, but was at his desk in the office from nine in the morning till the evening paper went to press. With the highest admiration for his genius, and a willingness to let it atone for more than ordinary irregularity, we were led by common report to expect a very capricious attention to his duties, and occasionally a scene of violence and difficulty. Time went on, however, and he was invariably punctual and industrious. With his pale, beautiful and intellectual face, as a reminder of what genius was in him, it was impossible, of course, not to treat him always with deferential courtesy. With a prospect of taking the lead in another periodical, he at last voluntarily gave up his employment with us." Unquote. A few weeks before Poe relinquished his laborious and ill-paid work on the Evening Mirror, his marvellous poem of The Raven was published. The effect was magical. Never before, nor indeed ever since, has a single short poem produced such a great and immediate enthusiasm. It did more to render its author famous than all his other writings put together. It made him the literary lion of the season, called into existence innumerable parodies, was translated into various languages, and, indeed, created quite a literature of its own. Poe was naturally delighted with the success his poem had attained, and from time to time read it in his musical manner in public halls or at literary receptions. Nevertheless, he affected to regard it as a work of art only, and wrote his essay entitled The Philosophy of Composition to prove that it was merely a mechanical production made in accordance with certain set rules. Although our poet's reputation was now well established, he found it still a difficult matter to live by his pen. Even when in good health, he wrote slowly and with fastidious care, and when his work was done, had great difficulty in getting publishers to accept it. Since his death, it has been proved that many months often elapsed before he could get either his most admired poems or tales published. Poe left the Evening Mirror in order to take part in the Broadway Journal, wherein he reissued from time to time nearly the whole of his prose and poetry. 
ultimately he acquired possession of this periodical but having no funds to carry it on after a few months of heartbreaking labor he had to relinquish it exhausted in body and mind the unfortunate man now retreated with his dying wife and her mother to a quaint little cottage at fordham outside new york here after a time the unfortunate household was reduced to the utmost need not even having wherewith to purchase the necessities of life at this dire moment some friendly hand much to the indignation and dismay of poe himself made an appeal to the public on behalf of the hapless family the appeal had the desired effect old friends and new came to the rescue and thanks to them and especially to mrs shew the marie louise of poe's later poems his wife's dying moments were soothed and the poet's own immediate wants provided for in january eighteen forty six virginia poe died and for some time after her death the poet remained in an apathetic stupor and indeed it may be truly said that never again did his mental faculties appear to regain their former power for another year or so poe lived quietly at fordham guarded by the watchful care of mrs clem writing little but thinking out his philosophical prose poem of eureka which he deemed the crowning work of his life his life was as abstemious and regular as his means were small gradually however as intercourse with fellow literari re-aroused his dormant energies he began to mediate a fresh start in the world his old and never thoroughly abandoned project of starting a magazine of his own for the enunciation of his own views on literature now absorbed all his thoughts in order to get the necessary funds for establishing his publication on a solid footing he determined to give a series of lectures in various parts of the states his re-entry into public life only involved him in a series of misfortunes at one time he was engaged to be married to mrs whitman a widow lady of considerable intellectual and literary attainments but after several incidents of a highly romantic character the match was broken off in eighteen forty nine poe revisited the south and amid the scenes and friends of his early life passed some not altogether unpleasing time at richmond virginia he again met his first love elmira now a wealthy widow and after a short renewed acquaintance was once more engaged to marry her but misfortune continued to dog his steps a publishing affair recalled him to new york he left richmond by boat for baltimore at which city he arrived on the third of october and handed his trunk to a porter to carry to the train for philadelphia what now happened has never been clearly explained previous to starting on his journey poe had complained of indisposition of chilliness and of exhaustion and it is not improbable that an increase or continuance of these symptoms had tempted him to drink or to resort to some of those narcotics he is known to have indulged in towards the close of his life whatever the cause of his delay the consequences were fatal whilst in a state of temporary mania or insensibility he fell into the hands of a band of ruffians who were scouring the streets in search of accomplices or victims what followed is given on undoubted authority 
His captors carried the unfortunate poet into an electioneering den, where they drugged him with whiskey. It was election day for a member of Congress, and Poe, with other victims, was dragged from polling station to station and forced to vote the ticket placed in his hand. Incredible as it may appear, the superintending officials of those days registered the proffered vote quite regardless of the condition of the person personifying a voter. The election over, the dying poet was left in the streets to perish, but, being found ere life was extinct, he was carried to the Washington University Hospital, where he expired on the 7th of October, 1849, in the 41st year of his age. Edgar Poe was buried in the family grave of his grandfather, General Poe, in the presence of a few friends and relatives. On the 17th of November, 1875, his remains were removed from their first resting place and, in the presence of a large number of people, were placed under a marble monument subscribed for by some of his many admirers. His wife's body has recently been placed by his side. The story of that, quote, fitful fever, unquote, which constituted the life of Edgar Poe, leaves upon the reader's mind the conviction that he was, indeed, truly typified by that, quote, unhappy master, whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster, till his songs one burden bore, till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore, of never, never more, unquote. John H. Ingram End of section 2